Good morning, Woodland Hills. My name is Dan Kent. I'm a teaching pastor here. I always like to look out over everybody because as soon as the light comes on, I can't see anybody anymore. So I like to connect with as many people as I can. So uh, I, I am a teaching pastor here. As you can tell by this gorgeous river, I'm also uh, in charge of cartography uh, for the church. Um, in fact, uh, like people will call Paul Eddy Doc because he has a PhD. They call me Doc because I'm the director of cartology. So that's... that's <clears throat> Uh, all right, that, that wasn't part of the plan. Let me find where I'm supposed to be here. Okay, yes, we are in this Unraveling Truth series, and uh, I was really looking forward to seeing how is Greg going to wrap up this Unraveling Truth series, because it has gone a long time, and I was waiting in eager anticipation to see how he's going to do it, having no idea that I was going to have to do it. So, uh, But I'm excited. I, 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 just, I absolutely love this, this series. My, uh, my graduate work is, it, it was called Theistic Philosophy. So it's basically this type of stuff. So I, I love this stuff. And so uh, a couple things I'm really excited about. I'm excited about wrapping this up. And the series is called Unraveling Truth. And I can't think of a better title to end that other than Raveling Truth. <laughs> I, I hope that we can somehow ravel up all of this stuff that we've talked about in this series, put a bow on it, and leave with something that can help us in our faith walk going forward. The second thing I'm really excited about, when we first had this idea for this series, it was in 2020. And we actually did one sermon, and then COVID hit. And we had to rethink everything. And then the George Floyd incident happened. And we wanted to be responsive and we wanted to help because we really care about reconciliation. We really threw ourselves into some of that. And this Unraveling Truth series sort of went by the wayside. And I was so bummed because although all those things were very important, I had, uh, I had wanted to show a, a video clip from a show that I loved as a kid called The Twilight Zone. <laughs> and I really wanted to show this because it just resonated so much with how I feel when I think about the topics that we talked about in this series. And then it, we, we, we contacted, I can't remember who it was, like uh, Warner Brothers or something like that, and we got the rights to use it and all of that. And then now, three years later, I finally get to share this clip. And I just think it so perfectly captures the human situation that we're in. As we wrestle with the questions that we have talked about in this series, man, this clip really captures what it feels like to uh, be alive in here. It's, I got to warn you, though, it's, it's dark. It's, it's sort of a dark scene. And, uh, and it just also seems fitting because I feel like there is um, some bad things that are happening to the Boyds and we're praying against that. And, um, and Mary is wearing black for the first time I've ever seen. And so there's something about the Twilight Zone that, that feels fitting today. Uh, like I said, it's a little dark and I, a little trigger warning. There is a clown in it and some people are freaked out by clowns. But go ahead and show the clip. traveling through another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone.
feet's in. No, no, it isn't the feet, is it? It's the army. The army's in. Hooray for the army! Get the troops out of the hot sun. Tarara boom, Your orders, Colonel, General, whatever you are. I'm a major. Don't fret. Advancement comes quickly, even in a peacetime army. Today, a major. Tomorrow, a brigadier. Major to brigadier? That's not bad. You're generous, old sport. You're really very generous. Problem? Problem? No. No, no problem. It's just that... Just the what? A couple of very unimportant items seem to have eluded me, like who I am. You said you were a major. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who are you? What are you doing here? Is there a circus around here somewhere? A circus? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there must be a circus. A clown. A circus. An officer. A war. That's logic, isn't it? But it doesn't figure at all. Not at all. Why not? Because there is no circus. And there is no war. You're just like the rest of us. The rest of us? show i wish we could watch the whole thing because it, it, it ends good it's called uh five characters in search of an exit so I, I encourage you to look it up and watch it it's uh it's a good 20 minute watch uh, it, it ends positively <laughs> but i just there's four things about that episode that really just connects with me the whole time we've been going through this series i just keep thinking about this because it really captures what uh, a philosopher named Heidegger that Greg has mentioned a couple times. He calls it the thrownness of life. It feels like we are just thrown into this life. We become conscious and aware, and we don't know how we got here. We don't know why we got here. We just know that we're here, and we didn't choose to be here. We're just here, and so it feels like there's this thrownness. And in the same way that this guy who wakes up in this round room and he doesn't know where he comes from. He doesn't even know who he is. And all of a sudden, he's just there. And so there's that thrownness. And then there's also other people there. And they're all in the same situation. And we're all in this together. Uh, and finally, there's this strange curiosity about the situation that we're in. Where, like, if you see a rock or a stick, I, I doubt that a stick is curious about its, its existence. But we are. We, we, want, we want to know, like, why are we here? Why are things the way that they are? And the final thing that really has connected with me during the series from this clip is just this sense that we are made for something that's not here. We're, we're, we're made for something that doesn't exist here, and yet it's so integral. It's so intimately a part of who we are. We can't even articulate it a lot of times, but we know that we're meant for something other than here. And it bothers us because there is no circus. 
There is no war. The things that we're made for, it's not, it doesn't exist. And, and, uh, and, it, and that's part of the human situation. That's part of the human condition. And from this human condition, all of these questions arise. Uh, and we've looked at a lot of these things, and philosophers and religions over the years have proposed answers to these questions. And what's interesting is we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus, and perhaps nobody more, I, I can't think of anybody who has had a bigger impact on how people answer these questions than Jesus. How we answer questions about what a person is, what life is about, uh, the role of love, and all of these things, Jesus has changed the world more than anybody else. And yet we're in a really interesting time right now because, well, a lot of people are starting to abandon their faith in the church and in Jesus and in the Bible and uh, even truth. People have given up on believing in any type of absolute truth. So this series, we have looked at all of these issues. We've looked at truth, the Bible, God, Jesus, and so forth. Um, when I was, uh, I, the first time I encountered this, uh, it was probably in Paul Eddy's class, and, uh, and then I saw it again in graduate school with Dr. Clark, and it's called The River of Truth. <laughs> and when I proposed this, I was, I was telling Shauna on the Musecast last week, hey, I'm going to talk about The River of Truth. She busted out laughing <laughs> because she thought it was kind of cheesy, and it kind of is, this River of Truth idea, but it's so helpful to understand how all of these ideas fit together. So... I'm going to share that. We looked at, uh, so here's the idea. So we're here on the river, okay? And when you look at all of these questions that we kind of address, in this series we've addressed most of them, they kind of flow from abstract, kind of way out there types of questions to very practical, in-your-hands kind of questions. And so the first question we looked at was truth. And we asked, can we believe that there is such a thing as objective truth? Because there's a lot of people who say that we, truth is just kind of relative. We can't really believe in, in, in absolute truth. And so we came to the conclusion that, yes, we can trust that there is absolute truth. And along with that, then we want to know, well, how do we get access to that truth? And so Emily and I talked about science and faith and reason and stuff like that. So once we came to the conclusion that, yes, we can trust in truth, the next question is, okay, so how does God fit into that? And so we asked whether or not can we trust that God exists? And Greg gave a couple sermons where he talked about reasons why he thinks, yes, we can trust that God exists. But more than that, he also argued that we can not only trust that God exists, but we can trust that the God who does exist is relational. It's a personal being. It's not just some force. It's not some machine. It's this personal being that we can interact with. The next question on the river of truth is Jesus. And Jesus, of course, the, 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 what we believe is that God became one of us. That's how relational God is. God is so relational that he actually became one of us. Uh, he became one of us in Jesus. And uh, so that's the question. Is Jesus actually God, one of us? Is Jesus really God with us, Emmanuel? And so we looked at some of the alternative explanations for who Jesus might have been. And we decided that, yes, we can in fact trust that Jesus is who Jesus says he is. And we can trust that Jesus is who the Gospels say he is. Which brings up another question, which is the Bible. 
can we trust that the Bible reveals something that God wants us to know? Can we trust that the Bible is divine revelation? And can we rely on that as an authority? Uh, Now, there's a lot of problems that we have to wrestle with in order to come to the conclusion that we can trust it. And just last week, Greg talked about one of the big ones, which is the fact that the Bible is split into the Old Testament and the New Testament, and sometimes God in the Old Testament looks very different than what we see in Jesus. And so how do you account for all of the violence in the Old Testament? And so last week, Greg uh, argued that with that violence, by looking at the the Bible through the lens of Christ on the cross, we can now use that as a filter to understand what God is revealing throughout. And so, yes, we can trust in the scriptures. And what's really helpful about this river of truth model is that if you're wrestling with something, uh, it's helpful to know where you're wrestling with something at. Where is your doubt located on the river? Uh, Because you might be arguing about the Bible, but in fact, you might not even believe that God exists. And so it, it's, it makes no sense arguing about whether or not you can trust the Bible if you don't actually believe that God exists. You have to get up there and deal with that first. And so kind of knowing where exactly your doubt is is really, really helpful. But the second part of this, this is what we've done. This is basically the Unraveling Truth series with a couple other things in there that are important. Like for instance, when we talked about God is relational, he also brought up a church. And that brought up a lot of problems too. And and Chris Beckert and Cedric Baker had a couple great sermons on dealing with the problems that church sometimes creates for our faith. But that's, that's the Unraveling Truth series right there. And it comes to where we are, this little red star. We're standing on the shore of the river of truth. And the question is, okay, now we've come to trust in uh, truth. We trust that God exists. We trust that Jesus is who he says he is. We trust the Bible. What do we do with all of that? What's the point of all of this? And that's what I want to look at here today. Because there is a point to all this. It's not just something that we're curious about. It, this is something that... It's, I would call this living knowledge, is what I would call it. It's living knowledge from a living God. And the river of truth is living water. I mean, that's, I, I would even go that far to say that. Because it's different than other types of knowledge that we get in the world. Uh, a lot of the knowledge that we accumulate in the world, I would call it dead knowledge. Which doesn't mean it's bad. It's, it's just different than living knowledge. In fact, a lot of dead knowledge is really fascinating. Like, for instance, here's the example that I was thinking about this week. In 1916, an uh, astrophysicist by the name of Carl Schwarzschild was doing some math. He was trying to figure out the motion of these planets and these stars and these, the, the, whatever he had access to in 1916. And the math was funny. And, and so he had to do these peculiar things, and it just wasn't working. It didn't make sense how things were moving. Then he came upon an article by Albert Einstein talking about general relativity theory. And that he was able to use in his models to speculate that maybe there are these dark, again, here's the darkness. There's something about the theme here today. There's these dark nodes of profound gravitational force scattered throughout the universe. And that makes the math line up. And so he proposed these black holes. And uh, 55 years later, 1971, black holes were discovered. And that's fascinating. But here's what's interesting about that is, uh, as fascinating as that is, I could live a thousand lifetimes and never know about a black hole in the Andromeda galaxy. And my life would not be any different. And I'm guessing, and astrophysicists haven't verified this yet, but I'm guessing the black hole doesn't care about me either. (laughs) 
The, the, the black hole does not care. But now, contingently, uh, based on my circumstance, the black hole information might be very useful. If I decide one day to build a rocket to go to the Andromeda galaxy, it's going to be good to know that there's a black hole there and to skirt around that. But other than that, it doesn't really mean anything to me. The river of truth is different. What we've been tackling and encountering in this series is, is totally different than that because this is living knowledge. This, this does affect me. This is something that, that shows us that there is a God who not only is relational, but it's a God who cares about us. And it's a God who cares about you and it's a God who cares about me. When we come down the river of truth and we come to scripture and we open the Bible in our hand and we look, what we find there is we find something with our name on it. We find this invitation with our name on it. it. It's the river of truth prompts me to act. It matters in my life. It's this profound invitation that is asking me to step into something. It's asking me to orient my life in a different way. It's, it's living knowledge. Ultimately, what I think is that God made himself known through the river of truth, through our reason, through revelation, through the Holy Spirit. God has made himself known because he has an agenda. God has an agenda. God wants to dwell with us. That's the point of it all, is God wants to dwell with us. And you see this over and over and over again in Scripture. I think my favorite starting point of this is in Acts 17, 27, where it says, God intended all of this, the Andromeda galaxy, the black holes, all these people, the planet, everything. He intended all of this so that people might seek out for him and perhaps even reach out for him, even though he is not far from each of us. I just love that. I just love that so much. Ezekiel 37, 27, it's just so concise and blunt. Uh, God says, my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. This has been God's agenda since the very, very beginning. Going back to Genesis 3, we hear this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God has always wanted to walk with us in that profound tangible presence. That's been his plan since the beginning. And so God is not revealing himself through this river of truth just to satisfy an intellectual curiosity. He is doing this because in the same way that Carl Schwarzschild had this funny, peculiar math that didn't add up, I think that we also have math that doesn't quite add up in our heart. And the math doesn't add up until we are in God's presence. We have these unsolved variables in our heart and it's in God's presence that those variables get solved. We are called to follow this river of truth. We trust these things and then we're called to act on that trust. Uh, We're called to step into the relationship that God is inviting us into. And now we have to be careful here because this isn't like a lot of the relationships that we are familiar with in this world that we live in now. Uh, What we're called to step into, it's not this willy-nilly sort of thing. It's this very profound, sacred offer that God makes to us to step into what's called, we call it here, a covenant relationship. And we've talked a lot about covenant relationships here. Uh, What we're most familiar with, though, is not covenant relationship. We're familiar with contract relationships especially in a capitalist society. We're very familiar with, with contracts. And contracts are great because they can, they can be very helpful. And, and how a contract works is that I have something that you need, you have something that I need. We get together, we fill out a contract, we have stipulations there saying what each party is going to get, and then we sign the contract, and then hopefully if it's a good deal, the contract will work out and it'll be mutually beneficial. And that can be good. But it's a lame 
thing compared to the thing that God is calling us into. Because what God is calling us into is way beyond stipulations. When you go to a contract, you say, do I, do I like these stipulations? When you go into a covenant, you're entering into a relationship, not just a contract. You're entering into a life-changing relationship where you don't ask about the stipulations first. The most important thing in a covenant is, do I trust this other person that I'm entering into this covenant with? Uh, it, it's, it's totally different. In a contract, you give because you're hoping to receive something back. In a covenant, you are giving yourself to create this new thing. You're creating this new entity between you and your covenant partner. Uh, in, you can see the, the, the kind of the profound difference between these because in a contract, most contracts, if you break the contract, you're going to have to pay up. You're going to have, there's probably some pre-agreed upon amount that you're going to have to pay or if, you know, you might get fired or something like that. <laughs> Covenants in the Old Testament, man, you, you, you got to be careful with those because you have to mean it. You have to mean it because you're not giving a, a good or a service. You're giving your whole self to this thing. What we see, we've seen this here in, in America. One of the covenant relationships that's survived over the years is the marriage covenant. That's the closest thing that we have to the covenant that, that God is talking about when he invites us into. And a marriage, you're giving your whole self to your partner. Uh, now, unfortunately, a lot of marriages have decompensated to the point of contractual relationships, but we know that that's not the intent. We know that all the romance, all the power, all the unity dies the more contractual you get in your marriage. Uh, what we all value, what we all celebrate are these covenant relationships where each person gives their whole self to it. That's where the power is. That's where the magic is. That's where the romance is. And that's what God calls us into. And so it's a thing where we give our whole self. So it's not just a financial penalty if you break it. In the Old Testament, man, if you broke a covenant, it meant your life. They would kill you. And you agreed to that because you're, that's how serious it was. You're not just creating this circumstance. You're not creating the situation that improves your circumstance. What you're doing is you're entering into something that changes your whole life. It doesn't just make your day-to-day your, your better. It makes you better. It's, it's this whole transformational thing that you're entering into. In fact, a lot of the language that's talked about when you enter into a covenant it's, it, you're entering into more of a family is what you're entering into. You, you, in the language that the New Testament uses that when we accept God's offer, we now become sons and daughters and he is our father. And th that's the language that's used, that kinship sort of language. You can't get family through contracts. You can only get that type of kinship through this, this uh, more profound giving of self into this, this uh, bigger thing. All right, let me see if I missed anything because I, I went a little fast through there. Hold on a second. Da -da -da -da. Like marriage, okay, got that. It's mes okay, yeah, it's, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, it's metaphysical, got that. All right, good. Uh, all right, <clears throat> here's, the, here's the other interesting thing about this. And this is why I love our God. I, I love Jesus and I love our Bible because, and I'm not an expert on ancient Near Eastern religions. I'm just not. Uh, it kind of bores me and I've tried. <laughs> I've tried to read some of these things and boy, you need like uh, medication to just get through this because it's, it, can be really, it can be really dry. But the research that I have done, I have yet to find a God in any other religion in the ancient Near East and really even after that where God extends an offer for a personal relationship. 
You just don't find it anywhere. In fact, for most of these religions, the idea of God doing that, that's just beneath God. Because in most religions, God doesn't really care about us. God's got his own thing going on. And we just kind of have to hope that we can benefit from what God is doing. But only in the, the Christian, Judeo-Christian, Israelite kind of belief system is God actually extending an offer for a relationship where he's going to dwell with us and be with us. Not only that, but we see in Jesus, we see throughout the stories of the Old Testament, God is not only offering this, but he's actually chasing us. And I just think that that's so beautiful. It's so curious too that as you come down this river of truth and you see all of this stuff and you start to read the scripture and you start to read what this God is about, it's just so curious all of these unsolved variables that we have in our heart that suddenly get solved in this revelation. For instance, it's, it's strange to me that assuming that we became who we are now, where, where we're at right now today, is the result of an evolutionary process that benefited from the survival of the fittest. Can you see how self-oriented survival of the fittest is? I have to make sure that I ensure my own survival. It's very self-centered, this, this process of evolution. And yet within that context, we have this fundamentally social nature. It's, it's a very strange, awkward thing. Why do we have this fundamental social nature? And I talk about how radical that social nature is in my book, Confident Humility, chapter 8. So I encourage you to read that if, if this is interesting to you. And then we come to the Bible and we find out that God is fundamentally social. God is triune. God is a trinity. And that's just so curious that here I have this awkward experience of being fundamentally social in a place that it just doesn't fit. And yet here my God who's calling me into this relationship is fundamentally this awkward thing that I'm experiencing. Another example of this is that we have this desire for love. We have this desire to be loved and to love in a place that is so cold and so hostile where love just seems so antithetical to everything that is happening here We want love and we want to give love and we want to receive love. And it's just so curious that when we come to the Bible, we find that God is this profound love that we have been longing for in this place where it just doesn't make sense that it should should exist at all. And yet we long for it and God is that. It's so curious. And then finally, I think that we each hunger for meaning. We hunger for meaning to this all Even though the world and the cosmos, everything seems so random and arbitrary, yet we still hunger for meaning. And it just doesn't fit here. That's that peculiar math again. We need to solve that variable. And then we encounter God in the Bible who did all of this stuff with an intention, which is a meaning. It's, It's a meant to be. And there, that variable gets solved. There is meaning, after all. Even though it doesn't seem like there is... And I long for it. There is that. And the river of truth shows us that. All of that peculiar math in our heart gets solved by God's presence. And the vehicle that God offers us to get into that ultimate presence is through covenant relationship. And what we see in the scripture is that this is a profound relationship for us and it's also a profound relationship for God. God, in order to make this happen, literally puts skin in the game. He literally becomes one of us and sacrifices himself. And because that's how important and sacred this type of relationship is. And he's calling us now at the end of this river of truth. What are you going to do? He's asking us, he's inviting us to act, to also put skin in the game. Part of what we're doing out here after the service, this baptism, it's part of putting skin in the game. It's part of making a public declaration that, yeah, I'm going to be a part of this. 
and I'm going to be baptized. And that's part of entering into this type of relationship. It's a very visible type of act that we do to show that we are putting skin in the game here. And if you haven't done that, I would encourage you to to think about doing that. And we have classes that we offer to prepare people for baptism. And now might be the time to start thinking about that for yourself if that interests you. And I encourage you to do that. There's something about this level of relationship where it involves us putting skin in the game that orients our mind in a different way. And you can see this in the world too. Like if you pay somebody an hourly wage, if, if they have good character, they'll, they'll work hard and, and they're not going to really care about their job unless it's a lot of money. But they'll, they'll do the job and they'll do good work. But if you give them part ownership in the company, do you think that they're going to care more or less? <laughs> They're going to care more if they're a part owner of the company because now they have skin in the game. And that's what God is calling us to. God is saying, look, I've put a lot of skin in the game here and I am asking you to act on this and put skin in the game as well. When we enter into covenant with God, uh, we're not just entering into a contract. We're entering into some new metaphysical entity that's created. And on the Musecast on Tuesday, I'm going to talk about the work of Robert Sternberg around this. It's just, it's mind-blowing. But a new thing is created between, the two shall become one uh, in marriage. In the same thing, that's what happens uh, in our relationship with God. A new identity is formed. In fact, this is why in the covenants, they would exchange names because, look, we have a new identity now. We have to rename ourselves. And so we have new identities. When the covenant is with God, though, that transformation takes on a whole new level. Now, not only do we have a new identity, although we do have that, we are now sons and daughters of God, but we also have new selves. We are new creations. Or the way that Jesus says it is we are born again. We are born again. And I think it's this new creation, this profound transformation that makes us capable of connecting with each other and with God in the profound way that God wants us to connect. In fact, I would even say that this connection that we are capable of as new creations, I think this is the point of the whole Bible. All of this stuff that God has revealed comes to a point here in the scriptures and in the scriptures it's revealed what God really wants is he wants us to have this unified uh, relationship. He wants us to be unified. He wants us to have perfect unity. And and you see this all over uh, Ephesians 5. Uh, Paul is quoting from Genesis 2 and he says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. There's that, that new entity is created between the two. This is a profound mystery but I am talking about Christ and the church. So he says in the same way that uh, a, a marriage covenant has the potential to be so profound that this new oneness is created, th- there's that potential there the same potential is there between us and God, but on a bigger level than that. Uh, in John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. Jesus is praying for us. Make sure you know that. He's praying for us and his disciples, and he says this, I pray that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. 
again, God is calling us into such a profound unity that it's the same unity that binds the Trinity. That's how profound this thing is, that we are standing on the shore looking, what do I do with this? Well, you act. You move toward this profound unity that God is calling us to. Really, in an important sense, I think, I think the work that Jesus does on the cross is about this unity. It is about this covenant. In fact, the word atonement literally means at one mint. And so this bringing together into this type of relationship is the driving force that leads Jesus to the cross. So, in summary, I think that we come to the river of truth incomplete. We come to the river of truth with these unsolved equations in our heart. And we follow the river of truth from absolute truth and we trust that there is absolute truth. And we trust that there is a God who exists and this God cares about me. We trust that. And we trust that Jesus is the profound presence of God as the Bible says. We trust in the profound invitation that the Bible offers us. And with that, we have now a choice. Do we look at all of this and say, hmm, that's interesting, and then go about our day back in contract society? Or do we do what God is calling us to do and say, I'm in. I am in. I might still wrestle with some doubts, but overall, I think I get it. I'm in. And I step into that relationship and I start moving from that feeling of incompleteness, that feeling of just being thrown into this world, I start moving from that incompleteness to fullness, to the wholeness and to the at-one-ment that God is calling me into. If you haven't made an act, if you haven't put skin in the game, uh, and this isn't literally skin, I mean, this is just making an act, you know, like making a declaration uh, with maybe somebody else uh, or in prayer or whatever, uh, please consider doing that. And we'll have people praying up here if you want to join them for that. Uh, we also have people online who you can pray with about that as well. In closing, I just want to offer one last nagging doubt. Uh, when I do a podcast with Greg called Greg Boyd Apologies and Explanations. It's a Q&A podcast. And like the fifth question I asked him, we've got like 1,100 questions now. The fifth question I asked him is, what's one thing that causes you doubt? And I don't remember what he said. Um, but I remember my doubt and that's what I want to share with you today because I want to share with you uh, the doubt that just pesters me and how the river of truth helps. Because for me, and it is, it's getting really predictable now where I start to feel this doubt, almost always if I'm stuck in rush hour traffic, rush hour traffic is going to make me an atheist, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm sitting in the center lane, okay, and there's cars to my left, there's cars to my right. I can't get out of this place, you know, and I do. I just want to get out and drive through a field someplace, and I'm just so frustrated, and I look ahead, and there's nothing but taillights, and I look behind, and there's nothing but cars as far as the eye can see, and you wonder, where are these people going? There can't be something this important wherever we're going here, you know, and, uh, and, and it just, suddenly, I just get struck. Man, there's a lot of people in the world. This is just one street. This is one street in one town, and there are towns everywhere. There are cities everywhere. And this is sort of a small city compared to a lot of these other ones. And then I go to a stadium and I look around and I see all these people. And it's just overwhelming how many people there are. And, and it is such a big planet and there are people everywhere. Or is it a big planet? 
See, then now the doubt creeps in from a different angle because then I start to think about Earth and I think about Earth within the solar system and I realize that, you know, if I were to travel to Pluto, and I just looked this up this morning, I didn't realize that I, I cheated. Uh, if I were to travel to Pluto, it would take me 12 and a half years going as fast as we can go to get to Pluto. Without rush hour traffic even, right, yeah. <laughs> so far, there's no rush hour traffic in space yet, but Elon Musk is working on it, I, I've heard. So it would take me that long to get there, okay? Now, that's a long time. That's what a big solar system we're in. And the solar system, these nine planets, and I'm counting Pluto as a planet, so back off. These nine planets, <laughs> they're just nine planets of between one and three trillion planets that exist in the Milky Way galaxy. And the Milky Way galaxy <laughs> is just one of 400 billion galaxies that we're aware of in the known universe. And each of those have between one and three trillion planets. And you look at all of that, you look at how, how many planets there are, how big space is, and then you come all the way back down to Earth and you see on, even on Earth there's all these people and they won't let me exit, you know? And there's just that many people. And I don't know about you, but I get this haunting feeling like, could God really care about me? I mean, look at all these people. Like, I'm that important that God wants to have a covenant with me? And I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but man, it's haunting. And it gets, it, 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 it swells there. And that's exactly what it does. When you have a doubt, and maybe your doubt is different than this one, but that's how doubt works, is doubt will swell in your brain and it'll sort of elbow out all of your convictions. You will go to church on Sunday and you will feel, I can't believe I ever doubted. God is just so certain. And then Monday morning in rush hour traffic, I can't believe I believed that stuff. I mean, it's just... That's how it works in your head. And the doubt just gets so big and it blocks out your convictions. And so that's a clue as to how I would encourage you to respond is, okay, this doubt is swelling. I need to go back to the river of truth. I need to go back and figure out what were my convictions again? And I need to go and say, okay, is there absolute truth? Yes, okay, I trust that there is absolute truth. Does God exist? Yes, I trust that God exists. Does God, is God relational? Yes, I trust that God is relational. Whew, okay, so far so good. Was Jesus who the Bible says he was? Yes, Jesus was who the Bible says. Okay, okay, so far so good, okay. Well, can I trust the Bible? Oh, yeah, 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 I can trust the Bible. That's right, I can trust the Bible. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says that as much planets as there are, as many planets as there are, as grandiose as the universe is, and the Bible affirms how grandiose the universe is. And as many people as there are, and the Bible affirms that there's many people, he told, God told Abram, look, your descendants are going to outnumber the stars. And we just talked about how many stars there are. It's, it hurts your head thinking about how many there are. And so God knows, yeah, there's a lot of people. The thing that God is doing involves a lot of people in a big universe. But then you keep reading and you realize what God is doing, God's agenda this is just the context, and we are just the participants in what God is doing, but what God is doing, what God cares about, his agenda happens through individual people. It happens between you and me and God. That's how it happens. And so, yeah, it can get overwhelming thinking of all the people, but when I go back to the river of truth and I come to the scriptures and I find that, yeah, that's all true. There's a lot of people. It's a big universe, and yet God still cares about you. And that's how you can kind of push out that doubt with your convictions again. Squeeze, take ownership of your brain from those doubts again. Uh, sometimes it's a battle. Sometimes it's a battle, but it, it, for me, coming back to the river of truth helps a great deal.
boy, I kind of got into that. I don't even know if, if I've talked about everything I'm supposed to talk about. So, <laughs> But I am going to talk more about this on Tuesday with Shauna. Uh, and if you have any prayer requests, we have people up here who will pray with you. We also have people online who will pray with you. And uh, we also have gathering groups where you can join up and talk about these things more as well. Thanks, everybody, for being here. I know that Greg really, really is bummed that he can't be here. So keep praying for Greg and Shelly. And uh, I hope to see you out with the baptisms.